Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Nation development as a whole, you know, because everything starts with local communities and every sort of industry drives into a local community, whether that is tourism, you need hotels, you need transportation, you need attractions, etc. And when you have hotels, accommodation and attractions that also are pleasant and used by the locals, you're starting to get a sort of whole economy that works together, you know, and then it makes some, it makes, it makes the locals happy, it makes the industry happy, it makes the government happy with Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Hege Barnes. Thanks for uh, making time for this. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us about being the regional director for the Americas at uh, Innovation Norway. It's very exciting, I have to admit. It's, it's you know, working for your country. It's working on helping your country create better conditions and, and opportunities for our smart companies and people living in Norway to increase value creation in Norway. So it's, uh, it's both sort of that tall order and exciting, passionate job that you can have to, to work for your country. So it's exciting. And, and can you tell people a little bit about what you're explaining to me about you're based in New York, you're close to the market, and you're helping Norwegian companies get into North America or Brazil or places like this? Yeah. So Innovation Norway is the Norwegian entity for trade and industries. So basically, that means that we help Norwegian companies start a company. We have offices all over Norway and with advisors that can help a company uh, get established, get mentorship, get help and advice and how to, to sort of form their company. They can also get loans and grants. And then we sort of start helping them scale. And when they're ready to go go global or go abroad, we can help them get access to a market, whether that is competence training or access to a network or partners or advice, or basically just help them export and sell their products. So that's why we have we have staff both in all over Norway and as well as in 30 countries, I think. And in, in America, we are in Toronto that covers Canada. In the U.S., we are in New York, uh, D.C., San Francisco and uh, Houston. And then we have an office in Rio that co- covers uh, South America. 
So all of us abroad, we work directly with companies in delivering opportunities for companies, whether that's existing opportunities or we see in the future that it could be something that's developing in the market that we know that Norway has companies and competencies to deliver to. Yeah. So, and you're using the example of like offshore wind, where Norway is ahead of the game, helping Norwegian companies yeah. get into the supply chain and stuff here. Is that an example? Yeah, that's correct. So on in the US and, and now with Biden as well in his Green New Deal, where he's doubling the funding and support for, for renewables, for new, re, renewable energy sources, at least 11 of the states on the East Coast has a, a now an offshore wind mandate or a desire to actually develop the offshore or a, a wind industry. And the US don't have existing sort of competencies in that area, while Norway has and Denmark and other countries have. So we want to make sure that we can utilize this opportunity and come in with Norwegian companies, competence and expertise and help assist in this development of, of this new sort of renewable energy field. And, and even a, a couple of our larger companies have gotten contracts already. Equinor has gotten a, a, a uh, what do you call that? A commission or they, they, have a, they have a contract to develop outside of New York, Empire Wind, as well as in Rhode Island. And uh, they, when they start to bring all this offshore, off, the wind power to shore, you know, they need a lot of uh, support through anything for transportation to pipeline lines and everything. So the whole supply chain would need a lot of deliveries and companies that can, can that has expertise in this area. And that's where we want to attach Norwegian companies to. So down the line, help develop all the supply chain needs that they have in partnership with the U.S. U.S. companies and U.S. industry. Yeah, you know. Um... When when your team reached out about having you come on the show, I was kind of looking forward to it. I feel like a little more related to my Norwegian roots. Last year, we read on Sunday afternoons, we read the journal of Olaf Christian Larsen, my ancestor from Drummond, Norway, who came over in the 1850s. And we got to learn about him growing up and working in like match factories and vodka factories and stuff like this as a, <laughs> as a kid. And then his adventures over. And I'm a diehard snowboarder from Western Canada. And you know, the best snowboarder in the world for many years was Terry Hawkinson, who just, you know, so we always like I always wanted to go ride the resorts in Norway and, and that the few friends that I have who've been over there have these great photos. So it's definitely a bucket list item for me. Oh, cool. Yeah, you should go. And, and, and this is the whole sort of premise of Norway. Our slogan, our uh, sort of brand is powered by nature. And that's how we grew up, you know, whether that's for play or industry, everything is sort of dependent on nature. We are like Canada, are very dependent on, on natural resources, you know, the whole industry, our, our whole ecosystem is built on, on whatever the nature can give us and provide us. Yeah. And that's why we've developed the competencies in these areas as well. Yeah, but with smarter mm -hmm. politicians who didn't blow all the cash, <laughs> like I remember learning about like what what your country has done with the building up the investment base compared to what Alberta and some other places have, have done some unfortunate things with the resources, that, the capital that it generated. So can you talk a little bit about this, this pipeline of like, you know, you've got advisors in Norway and you've got an investment arm and then you guys are helping them get the help get connections and, you know, and you're integrated right with the tourism as well, I understand. Yeah, so we, we cover 
all the areas that we see. And we see that Norway has, you know, unique companies in certain fields, such as offshore wind or anything maritime and offshore head based. We are, we have deep competencies uh, within, uh, or we have a lot of engineers, you know, we have these deep tech back office kind of B2B kind of knowledge base or, or talent pool in Norway. And certain sectors we try to push more than others because we know we can compete internationally. And the same applies for tourism. You know, we need to attract visitors to come to Norway, which is actually a big export goods for Norway. There's a lot of visitors there every year and we have a lot of to offer them. And the same thing is that we see certain areas we're developing where we can actually offer uh, Norway as a test bed or we can offer great opportunities because we have a smart engineer. We have talent that can help companies grow and scale and test their products. So we also work a lot with investing to attract foreign direct investment to Norway, you know, to get companies either to set up like big companies to set up their data centers in Norway or, or others as smarter entrepreneurs or tech companies to come and utilize the the talent pool that we have and some of the test facilities because one of the things that it's sort of advantage uh, of working with a, com- a country that is smaller such as ours we have a very good level of trust in the society you know the public private partnership the public operates efficiently with trust from government and, and decisions making in government and what what actually will happen down the line so we have built up a lot of research centers, test center that's government funded. We build up these clusters, industry clusters, with uh, industry players, local industry players, research institutions, and government. So they fund actually an innovation pool of different resources to, to bring back and bring out this, the best solutions. And here there's also opportunity for com- foreign companies to come and test their products and be part of this sort of innovation process. So, so there's this, this whole sort of infrastructure that, that's happening that helps us be sort of a leader in, and we've sort of decided that that's green technologies, you know, particularly offshore, but also onshore with smart transportation. Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the things on this website, theexplorer.no, specifically the world's largest underwater restaurant (laughs) right on the page there. But I, I think for me, the first question I have is, for folks who don't, for folks who don't know how much you guys have led in transportation and stuff, the the Super Bowl ad this year with with Will Ferrell brought a lot of attention. Can you can you talk about that sector and and just any feedback you got from the ad? Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, that was such a, a gift. But it was a it was a quality gift or a qualified gift because it's true. You know, Norway has over fifty percent, fifty four percent of all new cars is is bought today are electric, and this has come through by um, the fact that the government believes in green innovation. It's taken sustainability serious. We have serious mandate for being a sustainable destination to develop green new solutions and the green lifestyle for all. So that it everything starts with the locals. You know. A good place to live is a good place to visit. So everything in local destination development is is is, is first and supposed to be sustainable. So the government started a few years ago with heavy incentive for for driving electric cars. For example, you could drive in the HOV lane. You get tax reliefs for buying it. So electric cars are much cheaper <laughs> in Norway than they over here. Fossil fuel cars are much more expensive in Norway than over here. So it was driven by this sort of initiative from the government of giving 
all these good incentives. You could park for free, you could go toll booth for free, et cetera. That drove up sort of the interest and demand and made sense to drive electric. In addition to the whole building up the mentality of the Norwegian population that you are part of the solution. You're part of the problem, but you're also part of the solution. So driving electric, recycling, making conscious choices that helps you know, the environment. So this whole ad sort of hit home because this is something we work with for many years. And it is, again, that whole sort of trust in society, the public-private partnerships that drives the development and making it, you know, making it easy for the public to choose sustainable. Well, it was, you know, it's interesting how bringing a spotlight can, can help so much get the word out. Like for anybody who didn't see that Super Bowl ad that, you know, according to a lot of people got voted the best Super Bowl ad of the year, Will Smith is, sorry, Will Ferrell is, he's out for Norway and he thinks Norway's ruining everything. And then he takes that electric car there and, and uh, finds out how great it is. Had they, did you guys know that was coming out? Was there any warning ahead of time? No, a week before it was launched, they contact the embassy and we got uh, invited in. So this was a Friday. I had a first meeting with them and then they started a campaign, I think that Tuesday and then Super Bowl was the following week. So we were just thrown into it and we, they wanted us to be a part of this sort of friendly banter and start sort of playing on the, the fact that yes, we are, you know, later and we would welcome you as in this competition and we would love a friendly competition because it's the purpose is good, you know, it's for a good cause. So yeah. it, it was fun and it actually created something. I, I, I have the numbers somewhere, but it was like a several million, a hundred million dollars ad value because it, it really spread and it started this whole message of, of the importance of, of smart uh, solutions or smart transportation. You know? Yeah. Well, tell me this, doing your job. When it comes to trying to get introductions for Norwegian companies, or it comes comes to trying to get uh, American innovators to to even find out what's available in Norway, what are the kind of challenges you have to overcome for that? Well, it depends on what sector it is. If we if we sort of stick with this sort of electric mobility, we have a lot of data, you know. So we often just try to pave the wave and, and, and ask, we, we prepare a lot of companies to bring the facts with them, you know, because in certain areas, Norway is a tiny little, you know, piece of the puzzle or we are known and all, but in this area, we actually have something and we are a world leading in green sort of smart solutions. So we tell them to bring this thing, the, the, the fact with them that Oslo has 16,000 buses, electric buses. You know, we have over 10,000 charging stations all over the country. So we know how to do it. We know infrastructure. We know how to build this. We know how it works. You know, we have years of experience in all these fields. So basically, we, we train them on bringing the fact with them. So bring a backpack full of knowledge and, and share that and share that openly. And say, this is something we can learn from, you know, and we can transfer. So to have that sort of open tech transfer. And the same in, of course, in maritime where we have a lot of cool products that are coming up and, and, and you know, also are world leading in a lot of areas. But, but Norwegians have a, a mentality of really good technologies. Like we are super good in, in creating stuff, we are horrible in selling it. We are not communicators <laughs> and natural marketers. So, so that's part of the thing. That's actually part of our job to help them sort of bring this knowledge and create a good pitch deck. 
for example. So you need to brag of things that you can actually be proud of that has some some value. You know. And 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 when you sell your story, think of the customer. You know, communicate to the customer, not tell that my product is best in the world. Instead of my products actually help solve your problem, you know. So it's a lot of that sort of prepping them to reach the customers in an efficient manner, knowing their customers, because it's all about the, the customer, you know. So, so it depends. Certain areas we are so green in that we need to go in. If it's an area that we don't have natural competency, but we see that could be a big opportunity, we sort of dig a little deeper into the market and find the experts. We also hire local expertise, or we can go in and, and utilize the whole Team Norway system or Team Nordics. We often work Nordics, you know. So we go and find the expertise in different market and transfer that to our company. And then often we send also a company that you know what, here's a lot of information for you to consume. And then we look at you and the structure of you and, and how your business model is. So maybe go back home, consume all this information, do a few adjustments and prepare, go into an advice with our advisors at home or your ecosystem or your cluster or accelerator, wherever you're based, and then come back when you're ready. And then we can help you, you know, reach your target and, and go and meet customers or partners. Yeah. So it depends a little bit where you are. You know, it, it's trying to get them as market ready and efficient as possible when they enter the market. So for people listening today, you know, who are in all sorts of different industries, thinking about this concept, what's what's one of your takeaways? What's one of your principles of helping people who, you know, they're specialists, they know their stuff so well, but maybe they haven't mm -hmm. spent as much time of how do I introduce this to others? How do I how do I make it magnetic for them to want to find out quickly what I learned over a long period of time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that's the challenge. But a lot of things is actually, and, and that's why we have offices abroad. And now, of course, with COVID, it's hard to do, but it's meet people, you know, talk and, and network, relation, build relations, bring strong relations. And if you don't have time, trust good advisors, you know, find your advisors in the market, whether that's us or other sort of sources. But the, the key is to, it, it's hard to sort of point, but I think the key is definitely to get in and, and get somebody that you can work with. The US is so huge, you know, and, and, and segment, you know, find your local area, say, okay, I'll concentrate on New York to start with, you know, I'll concentrate on this segment to start with, or I'll concentrate on this uh, area and, and get in there efficiently. But utilize the resources that you have available. And, and for a country like Norway, there's a lot of resources for you that can help you target it more efficiently. You know, I'm, I'm interested. I don't know if that help answered. Yeah. You know, I'm interested in your advice on networking. I think about we've, you know, we've looked before of expanding our funds into China and, and over in the UK and stuff. And I think about trips that I've gone on and, you know, like I'll be in Hong Kong for like a week or 10 days or something. And like you want to get the most out of it while you're there. So, of course, mm -hmm. we try to set up as much as we can ahead of times. But you know, the nature of it, you don't have the context all the time of who's actually worth meeting or not. And, and then once mm -hmm. you're there, when a meeting goes really well, or, you know, I would speak at certain events, you know, there, then I get invited to something else. Oh, you're still in town for a few more days. You ought to come to this. And then that gauge of like, mm -hmm. should I cancel something else to go to that? Should I, you know, like, is, you know, making those judgment calls is something that, felt quite difficult sometimes of like everything sounds great when you're signing up for it you know and yeah, then I, figuring out whether it was really worth the time when you're only in country for a limited amount of time i'm interested in your your thought on that of anybody expanding to another country 
Oh, I, I, I hear you. And that, that is the tough thing. And, and that's why I'm saying like utilize the resources you have available. If you come to the US or New York or San Francisco, then we have a Nordic innovation house. You know, definitely do your prep work, as you said. You do your prep work, try to set up everything you can, but contact the local, whether that's an official entity or a, whether you know somebody in the market that you trust. Have them help vet your appointments or your relationship, what we're going to say, because a lot sounds impressive, right? It sounds huge and impressive, but we can have this opportunity. But get somebody local that can help you tailor it down and say, yes, this is super relevant. However, if you look at the timeline, this is, you know, 10 years down the road, or this is too complicated, or there's a Jones Act, you know, or there's a, there's something local content that you have to deliver to. There's something, you know, that's, that's uh, restricting it or regulatory environment. So I think like do your prep work and then contact somebody locally and attend like a local networking event. For example, as I said, in Silicon Valley, we have a Nordic Innovation House, which is the Nordic countries have gone together and have a sort of networking platform community. It's actually a physical house that you can come and sit, but you can also attend all the events they're doing. You can join in on their networking events or matchmaking services, etc. So you can have somebody help you look through your program and sort of help you qualify, yes, this is something you should focus on or here you're wasting your time or actually you should contact these companies here. So having that extra sort of eye on the agenda, it helps. And, and that is also something to just talk to people in advance of going there, you know, call somebody up and say, can you help me sort of tailor my agenda here? Yeah, you know, I think about, I, I think so many Americans, so many Canadians, we, like so many of us entrepreneurs have not actually investigated what government agencies are available mm. to us as resources. You know what I mean? One mm. thing that went well for me was expat groups, you know, like, like one of the big events I yeah. spoke at in Hong Kong was it was an expat group and they got a little bit of context for us. And so they made sure to invent, invite people from the investment industry to it for us. And, and they were, you know, for them, it was kind of fun to have somebody come over and it was a reason, you know, like it, it was uh, a chance to show us off a little bit. And ended up being really valuable for us because they put some of the right people in the room, you know? And mm. uh, so thinking about like, just a thought I have is I'm thinking about like when I used to live in Calgary, there were these groups of like, you know, the Croatian Canadian club or something like this. Right. And so that that's great for Croatians who want to come pitch the Canadian energy industry. But I, you know, I, I'm sure that I have not investigated where there's like a, you know, a U.S. Thai club in Bangkok or stuff like this. You know, uh, mm. and, and there probably, probably is because there's a yeah, there's a what was that America, U.S., Norway Chamber of Commerce in in Oslo, you know, or oh, really? American Norway Chamber of Commerce. Yes, they help American companies enter the the Norwegian market, you know, and we actually have a Norwegian American Chamber of Commerce, so they're sort of sister organizations, and they they talk and they work together. So when I'm in Norway, I can attend their events, you know, and learn what sort of they are promoting to the the American companies in Norway. Yeah. So there's also, and, and there's a trust, and then there's also the thing of, of, of governments. Well, not all, but some at least is a high level of trust because we are neutral. We're not in it for profit. You know, we're here to help. We use spending taxpayers' money to help sort of create value, uh, value creation for Norway. And we're helping Norwegian companies be the best. If we do a good enough job, the companies will do better. And that will create the uh, creating uh, increase the value uh, in Norway, you know, for new industries and new developments. So, so we're neutral. We're not in there to gain money or fool anybody it's always that if we can't help them if you know that for example we don't have internal competencies in the organization to help them locally we will say but you know we have a network 
of contacts that we know are experts within this and that we have vetted, we trust them, you know, they're delivered to us before. So you could contact them, you could talk to them. And, and that is a huge resource in itself, just having that trusted sort of transfer to somebody that's an experts within the area. So that's part of our job too, to build that sort of trustworthy ex network of external expertise as well. You know, go, going back to transportation for a minute, I'm, I'm interested in any thoughts you have of, you know, seeing Norway electrify transportation so quickly. And now, you know, when companies like Tesla become really cool and there's a more cost-effective version, so you start seeing them all over the place. And then it seems a little more common, a little more regular. And then Porsche comes out with a really cool one, you know, and like it starts to become more of a thing, right? I'm, I'm interested in any predictions you have of how, what that will roll out like. What do you think that will look like across maybe the US and Canada? Ooh, that, <laughs> that's a tough one. And US, you know, with 50 different states, 50 different regulatory systems and all, I don't think that's an easy prediction. Yeah. I think that would probably roll out in waves. We know that we know uh, sort of Biden's new green deal and the more increased sort of effort toward electrifying or renewable resources, that that will speed up. And we see a lot of larger companies, particularly in Texas, that are interested now and they're shifting. They're actually creating funds to gain access to renewable technologies and smart new solutions. So the whole shift there is coming, but it's going to take time. So... I, yeah, I think that's a tough one. Canada might be easier, but I, I, I'm not an expert on that field, so I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a tough one to predict. It's easier for smaller destinations, and we've gotten far in Norway. Right now, we're focusing on the water. You know, we're shifting. We have these all green shipping uh, policies that by 2030, we're going to have all the, we call the emissions from, from the ocean fleet and shift a lot of the transport from the roads to the water, you know, to electric or hybrid ferries or hydrogen or even an ammonia. We have an ammonia tanker being built now. So, so that's sort of easier to predict in a smaller country and a smaller sort of economy than, than over here. You know, that ammonia is a really interesting one to me. I remember 10 years ago, a guy who's passed away now, but a pretty, pretty famous guy in the energy space, at least in the U.S., was a guy named Matt Simmons and wrote some really important books about what was going on with Saudi oil companies and, and maybe some of the predictions of how much oil they did or didn't have, right? And he wrote some really interesting pieces kind of a, a decade ago about the ability to do offshore wind and convert it to ammonia so it could be transported and you don't have electricity loss, you know? And, and you know, maybe for people who don't understand how helpful ammonia could be as a fill-in for, you know, a replacement for fossil fuels where there isn't electrification. Can you talk about that just a little bit? So that, again, I'm afraid it's not my area of expertise sure. either, so I, I can't go too detailed into the ammonia field, but that's exactly what we're looking at, how that uh, can be a substitute for alternative fuels, you know. That and LNG, it's the cheapest, we, we have the cheapest electric power in Europe, so it's it's uh, sort of a, a test market again for green ammonia, but I don't I, I don't know exactly yeah. into the de details, yeah. I'm afraid, uh, but, but it is what I can say about it. It's, it's a very interesting area that's being developed more and more. And the, the company Grig that's building this first sort of ammonia tanker have done a lot of background research on that and, and seeing that that green footprint is or that footprint is so much lower and so much efficient, you know, that it, it's worth it. So my understanding with the ammonia is, you know, they create it, they electrify, they, they electrify the chemicals to create ammonia. So what a lot of people don't understand, and I certainly didn't know, is that basically any diesel engine can be run on ammonia instead of diesel. It's a little more complicated to transport, a little more dangerous to transport than diesel. 
but the potential to like essentially create a liquid fuel, essentially, you know, virtually 100% generated because of electricity is a very interesting replacement option, right? Especially for a country like yours that has excess or, or you know, very cost effective electric production. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they say that it can easily be substituted uh, or it can substitute petroleum. And I, again, I'm not an expert, but they say also that it, it helps make the hydrogen economy a reality in the near term at an affordable cost. So as it's getting manufactured, it can be a very cost-efficient fuel source for a lot of economies in the future. Yeah. Well, um, what are what are one or two of your favorite innovation stories for Norway? Companies or things like this that, that maybe the rest of us haven't heard about? That we haven't heard about? Well, there's we're staying within the same field. There's a cool story coming out, and it has been out for a while. But the first all sort of electric and autonomous container ship. And we're working on a couple of autonomous ship transportation solutions. So that's pretty cool. And, and this one that was sort of ready for uh, operated as a manual vessel in 2018, it was produced by the Norwegian company Yara, who's in the chemicals and fertilizer industry globally. It's a huge company. They teamed up with maritime tech company Kongsberg was to build the world's first all-electric and autonomous container ship. And so that is saying that the, the ship will ensure a major re reduction in NOx in the carbon footprint, carbon offset, and CO2 emissions as it shifts product transportation from what previously required 40,000 truck journeys a year to a new electric shipping pathway. So that's quite a lot, you know. And now in 2020, and I actually should have checked up on this, but they were transferring to a fully autonomous vessel. So that's actually shipping between a production site in Norway to a town in Southern Norway. Uh, and it, it's actually uh, pretty cool, even though uh, it's, you know, it can have 40,000 truck journeys, that's quite a lot. And then you're developing to become this sort of autonomous vessel, which is uh, still in its sort of test phases. But Norway has a very pragmatic, and even though there's some regulatory barriers to overcome before the, all these fully robotic ships can cross the ocean, Norway is working through these issues with the Norwegian Maritime Authority and the Coastal Administration on board. And they actually signed an agreement last year designating the Trondheim Fjord, which is in the central Norway, where one of the major tech universities are. They designated the Trondheim Fjord as the world's first test area specifically for autonomous ships. That's fascinating. And it is that is super cool. And at that same university, they have a collaboration with a company called Zebus with a Z, where they're testing an autonomous ferry that's going to cross the channel that goes through town. And it will act that little ship that they're testing out now, or a little ferry. I forgot how many people it could take. We could take a lot of people on bikes and it crosses, save you about 20 minutes walk through. And it's operated like an elevator. So you press the button on one side and this ferry comes over to you. You, on, you go on board and you sail over to the other side. So it's pretty cool. And that's some of the things they are testing for the future, you know, to be implemented then in larger scale and scale up. I had never thought about autonomous boats. I'm on this, I'm on the Kongsberg website right now watching a little video about yeah. this thing. They even have electric cranes loading the thing. Yeah. You know, I know a little bit about, actually, I don't know. But I remember some really impressive math <laughs> about the the amount of energy expended to move freight by ship compared to by truck. I mean, it's an incredible, yeah. it's an incredible arbitrage. You know, in the early, you know, when the United States was first becoming a country, the fact that the Mississippi could get could get cargo so far up into the country and that the Great Lakes 
could get it so far that direction out to Chicago and stuff like that was just a rapid, rapid expansion opportunity for the U.S. compared to, you know, back then, you know, carts and horses and and those kind of things. It was like a really significant acceleration. And I think about this idea of just like, you know, even if you leave the environmental and pollution opportunities off of it, just from a like a, a an energy wealth standpoint, when you get the same amount of work done with less energy consumed, that energy is available for something else, you know? Like Yeah, exactly. We all we all like getting a deal buying stuff when we still get the stuff when we've got money left over. Like we have that same opportunity energy-wise, right? And you think about like the developing mm-hmm. world and like the number one thing that will raise a country's wealth and standard of living is access to energy. You know, when they're not having humans burn calories to do the farming, this, if they have access yeah. to energy, it's the number one thing to get more people fed, more medicine created, you know, all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's like very mm-hmm. optimistic for the future of humanity, the more of this stuff that happens. Absolutely. And there's a lot of development within the agri-tech field, you know, which will help developing countries a lot where you actually don't need a lot of energy resources. So it's a recycling process where you actually can can utilize what's already there. You know, there's a company in Norway, and to apply it, I think they're called, and they're using manure or all these sort of leftovers, and they put that into a chemical process that comes back out and then fertilizes the soil. So it's sort of a natural recycling process in, in, in a lot of countries that can't afford expensive equipment or other can can utilize technologies that recycles what they already have locally. And, and there's other in, in, uh, developments within that area. So there's a lot of excitement that happens with the renewable option. And I think that's a lot of it's a lot of education that needs to be done, maybe particularly in this country as well that you need to understand that a lot of the the solutions that are coming in the future is actually a profitable uh, development. And it's not like a strain on local communities. We have a lot of local issues in this country, you know, with the coal industry that's taken away industries and foundations for, for local economies while looking at renewables options or looking at sustainable solutions or tech solutions that can actually help local communities to survive and thrive and actually grow and be profitable in the future. But it's an education process that needs to come to follow it. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm on this n2applied.com right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have some friends that uh, I used to be the chief of staff and the governor here in, in Utah where I live. They were working on a giant fertilizer deal with the Middle East. And I think, especially growing up in, you know, farm, I grew up in farm country, Alberta, Canada. Okay. Mm. And, and then I went to started college in the States at a private school in, in Idaho <laughs> by the potato farmers. Right. So you don't think about where I grew up. You don't think about having a lack of access to fertilizer. And a handful of no. years ago, I learned about just like what a significant issue that is for, for feeding large populations when you don't have a thriving chemical industry and you don't have easy fertilizer production in your areas. This is interesting because they're producing the fertilizer locally. So look at all the transportation yep. costs you're cutting out. Look at all the, you know, essentially guaranteed access. If you if you produce it locally, the chances you're going to be able to use it locally go way up, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. It is. That's a pretty that's a pretty mm-hmm. reasonably sized unit too. That mm-hmm. that thing. I mean, that's not enormous. I can fit in the fit in the corner of somebody's warehouse. It looks like. Oh, I mean, the slope... yeah, it's meant to be for every small farm. You know, they can have their own unit. Yeah. Obviously, the digester is really big, but that's super interesting. Well, um, mm-hmm. listen, I know you speak at conferences and get interviewed and stuff. What What's something that you don't get asked about enough? What's something that you like to talk about? 
Good question. I think what I talk, so I also, you know, work a little bit in the crossover field of, of the of tourism and other sectors. And what I really learned, I've, I've done a lot on the sustainability field and, and developing, is that as you look at all these different industries or li- different developments, you look at them in silos. But what it really is, is destination development as a whole, you know, because everything starts with local communities and every sort of industry drive into a local community, whether that is tourism, you need hotels, you need transportation, you need attractions, etc. And when you have hotels, accommodation and attractions that also are pleasant and used by the locals, you're starting to get a sort of whole economy that works together, you know, and then it makes some, it makes, it makes the locals happy, it makes the industry happy, it makes the government happy when everybody's involved and have an ownership in this. And it's looked at a holistic perspective. So if you're driving, for example, this whole energy transition and you have agricultural tech, it helps the local farms and it helps export. That creates jobs, it creates everything for the economy, but it's happy locals in in the community. So looking at a a, a development in a more holistic perspective, I think is is what it it interests me. It it makes me uh, curious to seeing how we're developing and not in silos, you know, but it's actually the, the more of a holistic perspective of things. It's interesting, you know, if you read much of the innovation literature, I think one of my favorite authors of all time is a guy who wrote, it's Stephen Johnson. He wrote a book called Where Good Ideas Come From. And if you mm-hmm. don't have time to listen to a whole book on Audible, you should get, everybody should go to YouTube and find his talk that the Royal Society for the Arts, the RSA animated. It's so good. But he, he just talks about, he just goes through like the the locations of innovation over the centuries and he just goes through like mm. how often it's like somebody goes off on their own and they study really hard and they're working really hard on a problem. And then they go mix with people from, from very diverse backgrounds and different industries and locations. And he calls it being like in a, like a liquid soup of good ideas, right? So they, they go bounce into all these good ideas and then they go back and work on their thing and they come bounce into good ideas and they go back and work on their thing. And like often, like after years and years, they're only halfway done. And then at some event or some coffee house or something, they end up meeting somebody with the other half of their idea. And this idea of like the lone innovator and the lone genius, it just doesn't, it doesn't end up that that's how history works. And, you know, this show is a little bit of that for me, of like me trying to create my own liquid network of good ideas of like, because I get to talk (laughs) to these impressive people five days a week, right? I I do get to get Mm. a lot of different perspectives. And like, to me, I don't know why, but I'd never... I've literally never, ever thought about autonomous boats until this conversation with you, right? And so you, I know that's something that's going to come up in future conversations. And who knows if I'll ever do anything with it. But like, for instance, I want to invite those guys from Kongsberg and, and Yara to come on the show and explain it. Oh, you should. You should. Yeah. And anyways, it, it's, it's interesting, this idea of oftentimes so many of the biggest breakthroughs in life come not from the specialty we're in it comes from some idea from like the distant solar system you know like some other place Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't normally bump into like the guys at IDEO who invented like the mouse for Steve Jobs at Apple and you know adapted what Xerox Park had or these you know many different medical inventions or a lot of the stuff in their books they talk about like you know go to Barnes and Noble go to the bookstore and go to the part of the magazine section you would never normally go to and, and pick up magazines you would never look at. Because if people like yeah. you aren't looking at those, that's where you're going to get a fresh idea. That's where you're going to get something that the group think of your friends are not already thinking about. So this idea of you're talking about like holistically, 
like I can I can see that of like the destination and the tourism and the innovation and the investment and the policy implications for some of that would naturally spark different ideas than just doing artificial intelligence all day every day with artificial intelligence people, right? Mm. Absolutely. And I think that that's part of the clue. And I'm definitely going to check up that book on <laughs> that podcast. But it is that that mind of, of the different thinking, you know, if you meet only like minded people, you would develop a product that has a sort of a, a, a more limited process than when you get ideas for naysayers and, you know, people that are a little more creatively mind or, or, or have a different sort of opinion on things. And you, you have to have all that. And I think that spars your creativity. And we've seen now, for example, what is sort of sounds crazy, but it's also the same thing where you shifted from the oil and gas uh, industry and offshore technologies. You know, some of these engineers that are trying to get these these uh, liquids to go through pipes, you know, and then decided to looking at it in the medical industry. That's the same thing as they use in tubes. You know, get blood to flow through tubes, you know. So could there be a transition of some of these technologies that they used that transferred from oil and gas to the medical industry, you know? So there's all these things that you would never think about, but it's actually sort of systems that can work together, you know, to solve a problem that is similar, or at least it gives similar thinking or it gives similar sort of processes or, or whatever that is. It's, and I think it's also, it is also on the human factor that it's more interesting, you know, it's more interesting to hear other opinions, other sort of experience areas. And then when that makes, that's when you really get creative. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I'm sure, you know, the, entrepreneurs and innovators and people listening to the show, they've heard this before. We've all heard this before, but as we're talking here, I'm thinking how many times, uh, you know, the last dozen times I've been to bookstores, how many times did I go pick up magazines? I don't normally pick up or did I go straight for the snowboarding section yeah. or the, or the art section <laughs> or the, you know, hypercars or stuff that, that I'm typically going to. And it's like, there's this idea of like what we know versus what we do and, yeah. you know, challenging ourselves, you know, cause I'm thinking, yeah, you know, with COVID and staying home a lot, I, I'm mm -hmm. not physically with a lot of folks that do things outside my regular routine at this point, you know, and can I challenge myself to, to do that? Because that's where the better ideas are going to come from, you know? Um, well, yeah. do you have any thoughts about that? No, I was just going to say, we, we, we are aligned as well. So we have all these clusters and networks, like we have a health tech cluster, we have a maritime cluster in our, we have an offshore wind cluster, we have an AI cluster and stuff. And now we started looking at sort of funding some of the research institutions that are touching upon autonomous vehicles, for example. What can that be used? Can that be used in other industry? You know, because we're talking about sort of robotics and AI, you know, so that cross-sector innovation. I think that's the sort of the leaning that's happening now to get people from different sectors and technologies and background to to meet at an early stage, sort of at that research and, and education stage. And then we need to commercialize that later on. But it's it's very interesting. And I think probably more than just us are doing that. Sure. Well, besides maybe connecting with you on LinkedIn or going to the explorer.no, any other places you would send people or is that the best places to to find out more about you online and what you're up to. InnovationNorway.no, that's our site. And Nordic Innovation House, which is our Nordic collaboration. I would also just do a shout out there because that's where we also, uh, we are a lot of our companies to network with like-minded companies that are entering into, and then the network in, in the US. And yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk and be part of the conversation. It's so much happening. And we have so many smart colleagues. And if there's any areas like ammonia that I can't talk to, <laughs> I have colleagues that can talk to that or hydrogen or CCS, CCSU. And I'm happy to connect. 
That's great. Well, one of my favorite questions is I like to end with a lot is what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? I think I received a lot of advice, but I think one of the best, and it came early on in my career, is, is, is well, the same thing as never be afraid, but it, it is the standard of always think outside of the box. You know, don't be afraid of doing that. You will fail, but failure is learning. And if you don't fail, you don't learn. So trying, do your research and do all that, but try, pilot. And, and that is something that I think have driven me um, for, of testing. Testing and, and being out there and making a fool of yourself <laughs> many times, but you, you, you move forward. So that I think is one of the best and sits with me. Just so, so made me less afraid of, of, of made me less afraid of failures, actually, you know, and more sort of daring and, and testing and going for it and stretching the limits. Yeah, it's, it's hard to stretch the limits and look good while you're experimenting, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. But that adds also when you have a good team, when you have a trust of a manager, you know, as a, a sort of a mentor that's backing you up, that's the best. And then, you you know, you have the freedom to go for it. And, and it is within certain sort of responsibility areas. But yeah, I think it's too many limits. You, you know, it's part of innovation, right? You have to sort of see where, where a path leads you and, and take some chances along the way qualified risks. Oh, that's great. Well, listen, thanks for making time for the show and uh, congratulations on the success. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And please reach out if I can connect you with anybody else. You know, if you want to or need any com- contacts, I'm happy to, uh, to forward it. This is great. Thank yeah, you. That's great. Okay. Bye everyone. Mm-hmm.